Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. This is Vernon Oaks, and welcome to Everything Co-op this morning. This morning, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Sheldon C. Peterson, who is being inducted into the 2023 Cooperative Hall of Fame. Good morning, Sheldon. Good morning, sir. And how are you this morning? I couldn't be better. Delighted to be having this opportunity to talk with you. Thank you for uh, taking time out to talk with, with me and our audience this morning. Uh, what part of the world are you in today? Uh, I'm in Leesburg, Virginia. Uh, this is our home and has been for almost 35 years now. Okay. So you're in the DMV then. At Leesburg is not that far out. So I want to talk first about who is Sheldon Peterson. Where did you grow up and go to school? Well, I'm uh, a native of the state of Iowa. I grew up in a couple of very small towns in uh, western Iowa in a very, very rural agricultural area. Went to school there and ultimately uh, went to college at the University of Northern Iowa and got a marketing degree from the University of Northern Iowa in 1975. 1975. Well, I got my undergrad in 1970. so. You're a young man. Okay. Young young guy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and and back then five years made a lot of difference. It doesn't make so much now. University <laughs> of Northern Iowa in marketing. Yes. Okay. So how did you get involved? Were you involved with co ops growing up in two agriculture towns as a child? You know, I, I was not involved in cooperatives. Cooperatives were very prominent in uh, many of the areas that, uh, that I lived in, but I wasn't involved with them originally. My involvement in cooperatives came in kind of an indirect way. Right after graduation from college, I spent about one year with a very large computer company that had about 60,000 employees, and uh, I quickly started to realize in that environment that that was a culture that I was not terribly comfortable in, and I saw some business tactics that didn't really uh, uh, look all that good to me, and so I started looking for another opportunity, and I've always had an interest in, in working in the electric utility industry, and as it turns out, uh, there was an opportunity that rose in a small local utility company and an area very close to where I grew up. Um, that had a position available, and I started at the co-op, and it was a rural electric co-op, uh, and that began my cooperative education. Okay, I'd just like to spend a minute, if you you, could, you said that they're in this computer company with 60,000 employees? Yes. That the, the environment wasn't what you wanted to be in, the business tactics. Can you say a little bit about what that environment is that you didn't like? 
Well, I saw um, I saw some things that were happening from a corporate governance perspective in terms of uh, relations with the employees and, and how they were dealt with. And then also I saw some sales tactics that uh, were not really, you know, what I felt uh, appropriate. And uh, that's why I only spent a year there and, and kind of moved on. It probably works for some people, but it didn't work for me. So relationship with employees and relationship with customers in terms exactly. of sales tactics. So I assume you didn't like their values. That's exactly right and a much better way to put it. Okay. Well, I I understand that. I mean, I've been in business environments that I, and I, I get that. I, I was fortunate enough when I got, after I got my MBA, I went to work for, and I don't mind saying the name of the company because I have nothing but positive things to say about them. And that was Cummings Engine Company in Indiana, in Columbus, Indiana. And they had great values in the way they treated their employees and their customers. And I really liked working there for them. But I like the cooperative world even better than that, <laughs> okay, for other reasons, too. Well, I, I found that when I joined the Rural Electric Co-op, I had a 180-degree difference uh, in how they accepted their values. And uh, uh, fortunate to work in uh, a small company that was very mission-oriented, very service-oriented. It was a good fit for me. Okay, so you're a year out of school so you in your early 20s uh you're you're looking for uh organization that their values meet your values and you found that in a small local utility rural electric utility company in iowa that close to where you grew up that's correct that's it that's and, it and it's a 180 degree turn so the way that this rural electric treated its customers and its employees you liked a lot better. What were some of the things that the way they treated them that you liked? Well, you know, the employees were, were I think, very engaged uh, and felt very empowered in the organization. It was a good, uh, I would say, relaxed operating environment. The uh, two general managers that I worked for, uh, when I spent time at that electric cooperative, again, both very service-oriented, very mission-oriented. And I've said many times that uh, it was while I was working at that co-op that I learned that actually doing things for members and making members happy was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, and that was the environment that we were in. Doing things for members is fun. You're telling me that going to work is fun? <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And making people happy uh, with the service your organization is providing is, uh, uh, it's a kick. And it's a great feedback. So you've, you mentioned the word mission-driven a couple times. And uh, in my MBA program, uh, which I focus on marketing also, um, the mission was to get the greatest return of, uh, on investment for the stockholder. So they were very much mission driven, but it was a different mission. So what kind of mission did this small rural electric co-op have? Yes. Well, if you recognize that going back to the very beginnings of electric cooperatives, 
they were actually formed to provide service where service didn't exist before and where investor-owned utilities were not going to extend lines out to rural consumers. And so, you know, you start from the premise that uh, electric co-ops are there to provide quality service on a reliable basis and then on a cost-effective basis as well. And as you mentioned, a mission for an investor-owned company, whether it be utility or otherwise, is really maximizing rate of return. Mm. And that's very true in the electric utility side, in the investor-owned electric utility side. Um, The whole purpose of an electric cooperative is to minimize cost. And uh, it's a totally different business approach. And so while an investor-owned makes extensive investments and uh, works with the Public Service Commission to get a high rate of return on that, electric co-ops take a whole different approach. Want to make sure you provide that uh, quality service, a reliable service, but do it at the lowest possible cost we can. So when you said minimize costs, uh, I want to make sure I understand what you're saying here. So I'm thinking inside a business, inside of this small electric utility company, rural electric utility company, you're trying to minimize your costs. Does that then turn to a minimum rate for the client? Yeah, that's that's really the whole point. That uh, uh, keeping rates as low as you possibly can, um, and that obviously has significant benefits uh, uh, for the rural consumers, which deal with high costs in other areas anyway. But yeah, that was the whole point. Uh, provide reliable service, provide quality of service, responsive service, but do it at the lowest possible rate we could. And that that continues to be the mission today. That seems to be (laughs) (laughs) anti-American. Anti-capitalism at least. Um, How do you provide great quality service, reliable quality, and at a lower price? It seems like too often one gets poor quality at a high price <laughs> too often <laughs> unreliable okay um so that was your first job how long did you stay with that small rural electric co-op i was with that electric co-op for four years four and that was addition that gave me an opportunity to really see the workings of all aspects of the organization okay as you're doing this work were you married at the time, or when did you get married? I got married between my junior and senior year in college. So yes, oh, I was. you were okay. You got married kind of young. Uh, that's what my daughters think. <laughs> um, but I met my wife uh, in eighth grade. Uh, we were. No, wait a minute. Hold on. I, mean, I got in here that right. You met her when? <laughs> when I was in eighth grade. Eighth grade. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Went to a small school. We were uh, seated alphabetically, and her maiden name was O'Toole. So, uh, but I met met my wife in eighth grade, and uh, uh, we were together, admittedly on and off for, for several years, but uh, chose to get married uh, when we were uh, 21 years old. All right. So she's with you as you're in your first job, and then this second job. She's with you at the computer job. So maybe the pillow talk was how bad things were going to work and how hard it was to get up to go to work. 
And then, I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> okay. And that pillow talk changed when you went to the rural electric co-op because you found a company that values fit yours. That's correct. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I think it helped. My wife came from the same uh, same background that I did, and she fully understood what was important to me and why. So she she shared your values. Very much so. They call that equally yoked, I believe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so how long have you all been married now? We have been married 49 years uh, this August, and uh, I'm shooting for 50 next August. Great. I may want to come to Leesburg and celebrate with you all 50 years. <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to take our first break. And, Shelton, when we get back, i like to f- continue to follow your bio, if you will, you know, from this first rural electric co-op where you spent four years in a small town in Iowa and where values were in line with your values and your wife's values. And you, you had fun at work. That, that's so, so important. And then after we, we talk about that, I really want to spend more time talking about the benefits of cooperation. And you've already talked about that, provide quality service, reliable service at the lowest possible price, which is extremely interesting if you're focusing in, on clients and employees. What's the benefits of both of those? We'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch that dial. This is WOL, News Talk 1450 AM at 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Co-op. And I'm having the absolute, I'm having a lot of fun talking to Sheldon Peterson this morning, who is being inducted into the Hall of Fame. The Cooperative Hall of Fame induction ceremony will be a dinner on October the 5th at the National Press Club. And they've already sold out of tickets, uh, Sheldon. They don't, there's no more tickets left for this, this event. So they're full up. Uh, people want to come see you. Well, I really don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I, I hope they enjoy the dinner. <laughs> Well, it's you and four other people, three, four of which are alive and one has passed. There's an Unsung Heroes program that was put into effect last year by Margaret Lung and Dr. Jessica Gordon-Nimhar that looks at cooperators in the past that were not known. And Helena Wilson is the one that is being inducted this year, African-American lady, through the... Um, Porters, um, so it, it's just interesting to see to hear this history. But let's go back to your history. So you got your first job in a computer company; values were not aligned. You got your second job in a small rural electric co-op. I want to go to your the job after that because you were there four years. But before that, how did rural electric co-ops? You mentioned that a bit. How did rural electric co-ops get started? And why? Sure. Uh, rural electric uh, co-ops were started in the mid to late uh, 30s. It was a uh, Depression-era program that was meant to electrify the rural areas in the country. Investor-owned utilities 
that had uh, been expanding throughout the United States stayed pretty close to the population areas because that's where they made the greatest rate of return. It wasn't an economic prospect to serve farms, and quite frankly, people at rural at uh, industrial utilities actually felt farmers had never used enough electricity to make it worth their while anyway. But as part of the development program, uh, as a result of uh, um, the Depression-era programs, the Rural Electrification Administration was developed as part of the Department of Agriculture. Uh, they made loans available to cooperatives across the country at very low interest rates. And as a result of that, cooperatives were formed under that structure. And it was this cooperative structure that was used to build utility companies in rural areas that generally wouldn't make sense for investor-owned utilities, but did under the cooperative model. So in the 30s, during the Depression, you have the farmers that don't have electricity. So like Abraham Lincoln, people are still studying with candlelight, reading That's, at night. Yeah, yes, sir. And it gets dark at 5.30, so in the wintertime. So this Rural Electric Administration was started to make loans to start electric co-ops because the larger company, capitalistic company, said they couldn't make enough return on investment and farmers wouldn't use enough electricity so they could make a large enough investment, offer their money, so they would not go out there. So co-ops came in where the capitalistic model would not work. There was a need, and the co-ops came in to satisfy that need. How That's correct. How, how many rural electric co-ops are there now? There are approximately 830 of what we call distribution electric cooperatives. And distribution electric cooperatives are the ones that have the, the poles, the wires, and the transformers, and the meter that hangs uh, on your house. It's what you would recognize as your, your local utility. Uh, in addition to that, uh, as time went on and there became a need for more bulk uh, availability of electricity, what we call generation and transmission cooperatives were formed by the distribution co-ops for the purpose of generating electricity and uh, and also buying on open markets electricity was needed by the distribution system so about 830 of those and I think roughly in the neighborhood of about 60 of the generation transmission cooperatives okay so of your distribution cooperatives the rural electric co-op that you work in for four years in rural town in Iowa, the members, the cooperative members, were the people that had the meters. Is that right? The people that bought electricity from these rural electric co-ops? That's correct. They were the, the members, the owners, and the people that voted for the board of directors. Okay, so if I lived in this small town... I only got my electricity from a rural electorate because this larger capitalistic group didn't come in and provide electricity. So I'm an automatic member of the co-op. And that's called a consumer co-op. The consumers own the business and they can vote for or run for the board of directors. That That's, that's right? That's correct, yes. Okay. And there's 830 of these throughout the U.S., do you have a sense of how much land area this covers or how many households the rural electric covers? The last time I, 
I hesitate to mention these numbers because I haven't looked at them for a, a long time, but uh, a vast majority of the countryside is actually served by the electric cooperatives. Yeah, that's obviously a very small segment because of the density that there, but uh, I don't have the uh, the number of the exact number of consumers that we have nationwide, but I believe it's in the neighborhood of about 12 million, but I don't want to, I don't want to give you a number right now because I'm not sure. Okay. That's good enough. Thank you. Co-ops have extensive in investment in utility property over a large land mass to, ser to serve very few consumers. Okay. But those consumers really need and want that electricity. <laughs> Provide a, a, a wonderful service. All right. So you were four years at this small rural electric co-op in Iowa. Where did you go next? Then uh, I had the opportunity to serve as the general manager of uh, another electric cooperative in Janesville, Wisconsin, which is in the southern part of uh, the state of Wisconsin. And that cooperative had a service territory that included not only southern parts of southern Wisconsin, but uh, parts of northern Illinois as well. How long did you stay there? I stayed there three years. I was there until uh, CFC came calling. Okay, so tell what tell us what is CFC? They came calling. Oh, yeah, CFC was my uh, my cooperative that I worked for for thirty seven years. Uh, it's the National Rural Utilities Cooperative Finance Corporation, and uh, it is the private capital uh, funding source for electric cooperatives that is owned by electric cooperatives. Okay. So just real quickly, the first job you had where you spent four years in this rural electric, you said you learned every aspect of running the business. So you're an employee. Now the yes. second job, you were the general manager. You're the big chief. Yes. What, what did you learn as being the big chief as a general manager that you did not learn as an employee? Well, you know, that's where it really sinks into you that leadership is a real privilege and has significant responsibility as well. And, uh, you know, when you're in that position, you kind of recognize the responsibility you have for building the culture of the organization and making sure that uh, uh, everyone that's involved with the organization is bought in and understands the mission and the purpose and uh, you know it's just more global view of the organization when you're in that leadership position okay so mission and purpose and understanding so did you all do a lot of training in that uh, particular co-op you know I wouldn't call it training per se again uh, uh, electric cooperative is a small organization okay so electric co-ops are small organizations and Training happens uh, like on-the-job training. So this training must happen to understand. Everybody understands the mission. Everybody understands the purpose. And it's the leader's responsibility to make sure that this training happens. So we've been talking to Sheldon Peterson, who now he has a second job as a general manager in a rural electric co-op. And he is leadership, and he's... Help, helping people to understand the mission and the purpose, and this is training on the job training. Uh, there's also in most co-ops uh, training programs, which is the fifth principle of co-ops with Sheldon. That was my main love of 
cooperation to watch the, how people got trained, training, information, education. It was the fifth principle. We're going to take our second break. And then I want to come back and talk more about CFC, Cooperative Finance Cooperation, and your role in that. We'll be right back. News Talk 1450 WOLAM. Program is Everything Co-op, and we're talking to Sheldon Peterson this morning. Sheldon, uh, this October, next week, we'll celebrate 10 years on the air. And these 10 years, we've interviewed quite a few people. And one can go to our website, which is www.everything.coop, and listen to over 350 different shows or podcasts. In that 10 years, National Co-op Bank has been our financial sponsor and head cheerleader, uh, NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. So, Sheldon, what I've gotten from you is this National Rural Utilities Cooperative Finance Corporation, CFC, Cooperative Finance Corporation, provide innovative financial and related services to the National Rural Electric Cooperatives. When you said they came calling you, what what job did you go to first in CFC? Well, I I was approached about taking a uh, field representative position, and CFC has a group of individuals who are scattered around the United States, and it's the purpose of of uh, uh, what I was called an area rep at the time to work with the local cooperatives in their use of CFC services in things like financial planning and rate work, uh, consulting with them on interest rate decisions and the like. And so in that role, uh, I worked with about 100 uh, electric cooperatives uh, in the states of Minnesota, Wisconsin, North and South Dakota, and Montana. All right. Did you have fun at this job also? I had a blast. And what I so enjoyed about it was the opportunity to see so many different types of electric cooperatives, because although electric cooperatives are the same structure and the same purpose and the same mission, they vary so greatly just simply by the conditions of the service areas in which they operate. And I got to work with cooperatives from the dairy farms in Wisconsin all the way out to the ranchers uh, in Montana, and uh, it was fascinating and educational. And I like the idea of fun. You love to get up to go to work. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I had a blast. So from there being a field rep, and really getting to know your customers, and you said financial planning and rate work. Are you when you say rate work? Is that the rate that the rural electric would charge its customers? Actually, it's both. Yes, we work with cooperatives that ask for assistance in developing electric rates for their members, all geared toward providing you know the financial integrity of the cooperative. But we also, um, because CFC is a lending organization, we also uh, help cooperatives work through decisions on which interest rates to select for loans. So I always thought it was always, you 
select the lowest interest rate. But okay. <laughs> okay. From that field work, where did you go next? Well, then uh, in uh, 1989, I was asked to move into uh, uh, the CFC headquarters, which at the time was in the Georgetown section of Washington, D.C. I moved into uh, a position that was made vacant by a death of the member of the, of the staff. Uh, but I came in as the uh, director of policy and internal audit, and I did that for roughly 11 months. So you were so bad at you, they got rid of you quickly? Is that what it <laughs> well, uh, I was then asked to move into a different position uh, in a different part of the com- company, which uh, involved evaluating the credit profile of the loan applications we received. And I did that one for about a year, and I was asked to move into another position after that. Okay. Let me let me go all the way back, though. Real quickly, how was it moving from, I assume, Iowa to Washington, D.C. How was that for you and your family? Yeah, well, actually, we moved from Wisconsin, and living in Wisconsin was very similar to living in Iowa. Moving to Washington, D.C. was a real culture shock. As I mentioned, I I grew up in some very small towns, and even when we lived uh, uh, places other than that small community, you know, we lived in suburban areas. So it it was a... uh, a fairly big shock dealing with the traffic and everything associated with it and also the housing prices and things of that nature. But we made the transition and we've been in Virginia for almost 35 years now and we love it. Fantastic. And so you went from evaluating credit profiles and to me that says you're looking at the particular rural electric co-op, the company, to see if if they can pay back the loan or how, what's the risk factor in them paying back the loan? So where did you go from there? Well, from there I went to what was called the corporate secretary position, and it really was a position that worked with uh, the CEO of the company on various corporate uh, projects and uh, member projects and doing uh, member education and things of that nature. And that was another one-year stint. Oh, you stay a long time in your jobs. I got one year, four <laughs> years, three years, one year, one year, eleven months, one year, one. Year. Okay, <laughs> getting a lot of good education. It gets better. Okay. It does get better. So where do you go after the corporate secretary? Okay, then I became the assistant to the CEO, and uh, again working more on uh, things such as uh, corporate strategic planning and. Uh, uh, corporate policy and and positioning and things of that nature. Did you know that they were grooming you to be the CEO? I have to be perfectly honest with you and tell you it didn't dawn on me in the, at the time. But uh, uh, when I look back at it, that's exactly uh, I was being given an opportunity to see various aspects of the organization. That's for sure. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So you still enjoy getting up, going to work? I certainly did. So from the assistant to the CEO, where did you go next? I became the CEO. Uh, as I as I said many times, I was in five jobs in five years, and at that point they didn't know what to do with me, so they just made me CEO. <laughs> and, how long, and how long did you do that job? Well, I was a CEO at CFC for 26 years. So you found home. 
I did. Okay, so you're in Virginia, long way from Wisconsin or Iowa, um, long, long way when you look at the culture of small town versus Washington, D.C. metro area. How many children do you have now? How many children? I have, I have two daughters, one that's 41 and one that's 38, and they each have two children. So you have four grandchildren. Fantastic. And, I do. Um, do they ever tell you whether they like growing up in Virginia compared to Iowa, or they're glad you moved, or they wish you had stayed in the small town? You know, from my daughter's perspective, they pretty much just remember growing up in Virginia, and uh, so it's been home, uh, although one of them lives uh, on the other side of the globe right now. But, uh, no, I think uh, I think they like uh, living in Virginia, and it's been a good quality place to raise kids. Okay. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful history, and it sounds like you really enjoyed it. What can you tell us about co-ops i mean i got cfc is their members are now these rural electric co-ops are the members of cfc they're the owners of cfc is that correct that's correct okay so cfc members created another business rural electric co-ops created a finance organization that would provide them the financing that they needed. They created another co-op. That that's correct. In the in the late 1960s, it was becoming apparent that the amount of money that Congress was willing to appropriate through the Rural Electrification Administration was kind of capped. Uh, but yet, electric cooperatives were growing fairly significantly. And the National Rural Electric Co-op Association recognized that there was a real need to find ways to provide additional funding for electric cooperatives and actually started a committee to evaluate the prospects of looking for alternative forms of capital. And because utilities require long-term capital, 35 years whatsoever, it's uh, not typically in the uh, uh, lending area of a typical bank. Banks don't like to make large corporate loans because obviously co-ops in the utility industry need massive amount of capital. And as a result of that, uh, there was uh, an initiative to look for other ways. And and the, uh, the efforts by NRECA really resulted in the uh, suggestion that another cooperative for purposes of finance be formed, and that's what occurred. So there is a need for money to finance major equipment and poles and lines and everything that's needed or upgrades or things that wear out. And so they created a committee to look at it, and they came up with, let's form another co-op. Co-ops are formed when there's a need. So let's let's just create another co-op. That, that's correct. Um, originally, uh, recognizing that banks weren't a source of uh, capital, uh, that committee went to Wall Street, the capital markets, and actually asked if uh, traditional utility investors like insurance companies or pension funds and the like, if they would be willing to make loans or make buy bonds, if you will, uh, from small farmer cooperatives. And basically, the response was no. And so 
it was determined that a better approach would be to actually form a cooperative, aggregate the needs of all of the uh, uh, electric cooperatives for supplemental capital, and then take that need to those same investors. And once CFC was formed, it was an aggregation of the needs of the electric cooperatives. Uh, Wall Street warmed up to the idea and actually did make money uh, through CFC available to electric co-ops. Okay. But you had to form the co-op and people aggregate their needs in order to get the attention of Wall Street. And one individual, that little small Iowa rural electric co-op that you first worked at, couldn't get their attention. That is exactly right. The amount of money that was needed or the frequency in which money was needed just wasn't of interest to Wall Street. You put all of the needs together, and uh, then you're talking about numbers that they are interested in working in, and particularly on a very frequent basis. Okay, we're going to take our final break. I've been having a lot of fun talking to you about your career, particularly getting alignment with your values and principles, your and your wife's, with the work that you were doing so you could have fun, wake up in the morning and really have fun. Uh, We're going to come back and talk about the future. Where do you see CFC going? Where do you see the co-op economy going? Any advice you have for the rest of us? We'll be right back. Please don't touch that down. Talk 1450 AM at 95.9 FM. Information is power. You're back to everything co-op. We're providing you information about co-ops. And maybe those of you listening can find work in the cooperative field, as Sheldon Peterson has done, to have fun and enjoy life and really have your values in line with the cooperative values, the ethical values, Sheldon, of co-ops is what I really like, and that's honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. And I just call it the golden rule, caring caring for others, doing it to others as you'd have them do unto you kind of thing. So um, th- that's why I really like co-ops, the values and principles of cooperation. But you told me before we got on air that when you started with CFC, they had a asset base of $3 billion, and now is about 10 times higher than that, or 11 times, about $32 billion. What do you see as the future of CFC in terms of assets and what they provide or where they're headed? Well, I think there's a, a very bright future for the role CFC can play with the electric cooperatives. Clearly, <clears throat> the organization has support of uh, many of the major utility investors on Wall Street, which means that the the capital is going to be available to the electric co-ops. Electric co-ops capital needs have changed pretty dramatically over the years. CFC's first role was to provide additional capital in addition to what the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture was providing. As time has gone by, more and more cooperatives have actually 
chosen to no longer borrow from the federal government and get their capital mm-hmm. needs uh, primarily all through CFC. And that uh, has caused significant growth in CFC's balance sheet. They've done that primarily for speed of access to capital and, and a little bit less regulatory burden. Electric co-ops are expanding in the future. And so we're going to see significant changes in the grid and the network that's going to require significant amount of capital, uh, things such as clean generation, uh, beefing up the grid from a transmission perspective, just recognizing that uh, the needs of the consumers are changing. There's going to be significant need for capital there. Uh, in addition to the fact that electric co-ops are now very involved in providing broadband service uh, in some uh, rural areas, all of those are significant capital requirements. And uh, I continue to believe that uh, electric co-ops are going to grow pretty significantly in the future. But I also believe that the, the capital is going to be there through CFC to make sure that that growth is met. Okay. It sounds like it's growing so well and having so much fun. I I don't know if I would have wanted to retire if I were you. <laughs> okay. Unless well, you want to spend time with your four grandchildren, perhaps. Okay. That's correct. Uh, but uh, but also, when you start looking at the, the rural electric co-op, the members are the clients that have the um, the meter in their house or apartment or co-op or condo and if you yep. look at there's the rural electric co-op in fairfax virginia there's the rural electric co-op in prince george's county what used to be rural in too many places are not rural anymore so those those numbers of meters are growing have you found that to be the case absolutely if you look at the way investor-owned utilities built out their service originally they just built to the communities and as electric cooperatives were formed and, and provided service to the rural area, kind of became a donut around a lot of these metro areas. And we see substantial growth in areas such as the, the area surrounding the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, uh, areas around Atlanta, areas around Minneapolis-St. Paul, Denver. Um, the, the communities are growing into the electric co-op service territory. And that's why I, I live in a suburban area here in Leesburg, Virginia. I'm served by an electric cooperative because the communities have grown into the electric co-op service territory. The communities are growing into the electrical co-op. Okay. And therefore, there's more need for distribution and generation of, of electricity. And therefore, there's more need for capital. So it's that, grow, correct. grow, grow. That's right. And not only is the the uh, service territory growing, uh, but in addition to that, the kind of technology that will be used to provide electric service in the future is also changing, and there's a capital need there. Okay, so this technology for the future, it's more green power. Are you Are the rural electrics into that? Uh, electric co-ops have been leaders uh, in the use of green power. Obviously, solar uh, in many areas is uh, one of the areas that's being used. If you go back to the area I'm originally from in the Midwest, you'll see a lot of wind energy there as well. But um, wind and solar obviously aren't going to be the total answer because 
we all like to have power seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. And so, you know, there's need to continue to build out clean sources of energy that have, uh, you know, regular reliability associated with them. And right now, uh, that's in the natural gas area. Uh, over time, hopefully, technology will evolve to the point where nuclear uh, generation, even on a small scale, uh, can provide more of the carbon-free energy that's needed by the country to grow. And so the rural electric co-ops are leaders in this green technology, and you see that they'll still be leaders in the future as we move forward? I do. Um, you know, that's the, the beautiful nature of the cooperative form of business for electric cooperative because they're local organizations and they derive their direction from the local community. Uh, they can respond easily to the expectations of the, uh, the local community. And, uh, you know, clearly there is a, pref- a preference for more and more green energy and electric cooperatives are well positioned to be very uh, effective in that area. So I have it that the, and we talked a little bit about this already, that those organizations that are out for the capital, um, capitalistic organizations are after three P's. They're after profit, profit, and profit. And co-ops are focused on people first, you mentioned it earlier, the employees and the customer, people, and then the planet, and then profit. Profits are important. You have to have it in order to stay in existence and to meet the future needs of the corporation or the organization. But it's people and planet first. And so I could see that just because they're local organizations, like you said, and people in the local organizations don't want climate change and don't want wildfires and don't want hurricanes and flooding and all of that. So, yeah, co-ops respond. You, you've defined it very well. Those, those in fact, uh, are the priorities. Uh, and, again, all toward just making sure that the electric co-op consumers have uh, lowest possible rates uh, for the best quality service we can provide. You keep coming back to that. Best quality service, reliable service at the lowest possible rate. It's phenomenal and it's fantastic. What are you doing now in your life? What do you do every day? I mean, you you retired from having fun at your at your work. So, what do you do now? Well, um, first priority are our grandkids, and uh, I uh, my grandkids rage in age from age four to age eight, age eight. Uh, three boys, and the last one's a girl. Two of them live locally here, so we have an opportunity to be very engaged with them. Two of them live halfway around the world, and so uh, it takes a little more effort and time to be engaged with them, but we're certainly taking that opportunity to do that. In addition to that, I'm still on the board of directors of the Homestead Funds, which is a mutual fund group that was sponsored by the National Electric Co-op Association. That's that's a lot of fun. I've been on that board for 17 years, and it's an area of finance that's vastly different uh, from the area at CFC that I worked in every day, so I, I thoroughly enjoy that. I'm also participating in the uh, mentorship program for business school students at the University of Northern Iowa. 
kind of mm-hmm. providing advice and counsel to people that are entering the workforce. And we're also doing uh, a fair amount of international travel. We have a lot of places we'd like to go and see. Sounds fun. You, you like fun in your life. What I message do. would you like to leave people with in the last minute here? Well, you know, as, uh, as we look at the future, and I, I can tell you one thing that I learned very well, and that as I encourage people, and particularly the electric cooperative boards and, and management and people that are in uh, positions of guiding the organization, uh, never stop asking why. Never stop going back and checking what your initiatives are to what your mission is for the electric cooperative. And make sure we never stray from that. And and if we do that, uh, cooperatives are are really the the business model for the future just as much as they've been effective in the past and there's so many economic factors that uh, contribute to that as well it's it's just a bright future for the cooperative business model thank you sheldon thank you very much i've had fun everybody out there we'll see you next thursday please live cooperatively Fifty W O L A M, where information is power.